Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Debatable with your hosts Nina and Kyle. I'm Kyle. And I'm Nina and we're on our 40th episode of this podcast. And yes, I know you usually celebrate on the 50th episode, but I just get really excited every 10 episodes we get to publish because this podcasting thing isn't as easy as I thought it would be and given quarantine and everything, it's gotten a lot harder. And Kyle, as far as I know, is super duper busy. Yeah, with everything that's been happening to me, like law school and stuff, it's actually a surprise. Like, I am also surprised that I even have time to do debate things. But somehow, by some miracle, or maybe just sheer willpower on my end, I still end up doing it. Yeah, so Kyle and I figured we'd talk about the time we decided to join an online debate tournament together, which was the Beagle Debate Festival. It was like months back. And I know we should have done an episode on this sooner, but we forgot and time just really flew by. So the Beagle Debate Festival, why did we compete? Uh, I don't remember. I don't really know. Probably because retirement is a myth. And on my part, I was genuinely very curious to see how online debate tournaments worked. And what better way than to join one? Because, you know, like in general, I still debate even when I'm in law school because it feels like a retreat for me. Because uh, law school feels very restricting sometimes. Like, I love it. I really like studying the law. But sometimes I want to talk about religion again. I want to talk about politics again. I want to talk about all these weird philosophical things, mumbo-jumbo, you might say, or things that you work really hard on but ultimately have very little meaning. I want to talk about those things. And when the class is about, I don't know, what are the different ways you can classify property it's just really liberating to me to go like, yeah, but did you know that the Roman Catholic Church used to sell indulgences when Pope Leo X was the Pope? And then in Dante's comedy, he was found in hell. But, but anyway... He got sidetracked there a little bit. Just a little bit. That That is how much I need this rant time, you know? Uh, So at the time when you were like, hey, Kyle... Let's join this debate tournament, the Beagle um, Debate Festival. I said, all right. Because at that time, uh, by that time, my SEM would be finished, right? Um, but no, it, it didn't finish because professors can do that. Um, so I was working on prepping while thinking about what to answer for essentially what were take-home exams. But I... Ultimately, I think it was a good experience because I liked Law of the Motions. I liked our semis one, uh, which was about actively promoting body neutrality over body positivity, uh, which is something that I can personally relate to. And I'm glad that we were on the we were in the position that we were in in the debate. I also really liked the finals motion, uh, and this is where I can casually mention that we won <laughs> because again, it was a philosophy motion. Yeah. So we decided to go and explore what happened in that tournament. Though we don't have time to talk about every single motion we ended up debating, um, we wanted to talk about the finals motion in particular because we wanted to prep again for the podcast. It's been a while. And we also wanted to show you how we approach motions that are not orthodox to us as a team um, because I feel like there's something about this particular motion um, and this particular prep that will show you something we were not able to discuss. So the motion, just for everyone's knowledge, is um, this house would choose to be born. And it came with an info slide that said, 
We live in a world where individuals, even before their birth, are able to know how their lives would look like until the age of 25. Your life until 25 is a mix of failures, heartbreak, and misery. After 25, your future is unknown. This house would choose to be born. So that was the motion, and we wanted to talk about it a little bit. Yeah, because one of the reasons why I actually kind of feel bad about that final is because I didn't consent to be recorded. Um, so Nina was fine. Nina consented to be recorded, but I didn't. So the entire opening government side in that debate was just not recorded. It's not on the live stream. And the reason for that is because at the time that finals was happening, a bunch of stuff was happening around in my house and in my neighborhood in general. So I didn't want, like, if there were any interruptions and it might catch something unsavory or something that I don't want on the internet, I don't want it to be memorialized on the internet forever. So that's why I feel bad about it. But now that we're in a more controlled environment, I guess, with um, this recording, I, I'm more comfortable. So the disclaimer here is what happened in that prep time. The di- Who is he fighting? Who is that dog fighting? Yeah, so the disclaimer here is that... God, actual damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. The dog is doing their best. They don't know that there's a recording happening. Okay, so the disclaimer here is that what really happened in the prep time was not really optimal. Um, But leading up to the finals, it was far from optimal um, as well. Um, Because online debating is surprisingly very difficult. Like, you you can't physically prep with your partner or people get choppy, people get interrupted. Discord is also very confusing if you're, like, very new to Discord as a, like, application in general. And that's also kind of why we named our team Audible. Yeah, so there are two inside jokes there. The first one is that uh, when people start their speeches, they usually go like, am I audible? Um, Before they speak. So Nina and I wanted the opportunity to go like, no, we're audible. That's our team name. And like, it's gotten to a point where I always think like before I speak when I'm on Zoom, I always go like, am I audible? So the other day, I, I was called to recite. And the first thing I was like, ma'am, am I audible? It's <laughs> like, yeah, so, and this shit. This is not the debate. Pala. So besides the joke on am I audible, there's also a running joke between Kyle and I that one day, hopefully, we'll be sponsored by Audible. And guess what? We are happy to announce that this episode is sponsored by none other than Audible. If you really like podcasts and you need to find a way to matter load, even if you don't have time to sit down and read, I would really recommend adding audiobooks to the mix. I got a Kindle recently and I've started to read again. Um, quite a lot, actually. I guess that's what quarantine does to you. And I found it useful to also incorporate audiobooks whenever I got tired. So I would listen to audiobooks while reading the text alongside it. And then I would speed up um, the audio so that I, I could train myself to read faster as well. And we have a special code for you at audibletrial.com slash debatable for you to try Audible for free for the first 30 days. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash debatable. You get two audiobooks for free as well as access to the entire collection of audiobooks, original content, and podcasts that the service has to offer. If you decide afterwards that it isn't for you, then you can cancel any time but still get to keep the free audiobooks you chose at the beginning. If you use our link, 
you also end up helping the podcast and allow us to continue what we do, such as post content and pay artists that we end up commissioning. And that would be something we'd be really grateful for. And really, it's a win-win. So what are you waiting for? Try Audible for yourself today. So anyway, back to Team Audible. Sponsorship aside, uh, despite all the initial complications, Nina and I got the hang of online prepping together. So we would do our usual positions as a team. I would be the deputy and I'd be the member because I just like extending. And Nina would be the first speaker and the whip because she's more structured than I am. But when it came to finals, it was completely different. Yeah, so the story of finals, um, you already know the motion. You can see two things with the motion. The first would be that it's philosophical. Like, philosophical af. And I am not good at any kind of motion. And the second thing that was... um, like worthy of noting was we were opening government. So I was in my weakest position because I had to be the prime minister for this motion. So that was one of the first roadblocks. Um, and I remember like the first five minutes of prep, I was just really panicking. Yeah, and then I was like, mm-hmm. do you want to switch positions? Because I'm usually not very talkative during prep time i am just like chilling waiting for an extension to hit me and then nina was having such a hard time uh so i was like do you want me to just pm instead and she said yeah okay so there were like seven minutes left and had seven minutes (laughs) an entire speech literally during finals um and to be honest like it i wasn't completely unprepared for that because i have been thinking about developing a way to sort of approach philosophical motions in general because i've been asked Cal, you're a big philo nerd how do you debate philosophy motions and the only thing that i end up saying is like you have to learn some parts of the philosophies there but like the the strategy that can apply for most philo debates i'm having a hard time like explaining how to do it for all philo debates because like if you have a social movement debate you go like okay what does the movement want first what is yeah. this what does the movement want but in philosophy uh debates it's not like what is the philosophy first um usually the philosophy parts come after so i i sort of had the idea going in that if i were ever to do a philo debate and i was prime minister i would probably approach it like this um, the first one is to say, what really is the debate about? So I would set it up in such a way that I would remove any loopholes. So in this case, it's about whether life is good, even if it were full of suffering. And you don't know it will if it will ever be good. So in that way, I was sort of limiting everyone, like myself included, like OG included. I was limiting everyone. But it would make for a clearer debate, I think. So I did spend a lot of time talking about like average lifespans and whatnot. That was maybe a mistake on my part because ultimately I argued why choosing to be born would be good even if you died immediately after the first 25 years full of suffering. Uh, but And then after, after I just did the setup, I went to the simple benefits where, you know, you have a head start. You know what's going to happen. You know your next steps moving forward. You can have mental preparation for the suffering or whatnot. You also, and this is where 
um, I feel like I struggled with the most because if there are feel emotions, I'm pretty good at the principled arguments, but not at the pragmatic arguments. But if it were any other kind of motion, I'd be better at the pragmatic arguments rather than the philosophical principled arguments. Yeah, that's why the switch made sense, right? So I wasn't really scared either when we decided to switch, even if it was like seven minutes left. And also take note, we have not done any other position since the last time we debated together, which was, I don't know, months back or a year back or whatever. And during the entire tournament, we were pretty consistent with me being first speaker whip and you being the extension speaker. So come final, though, um, knowing that it was Philo, I knew like I would have to be in charge of the pragmatic. So when we were prepping, I did not touch anything about Kyle's principles case. I, I had nothing to contribute. But when I saw that he was running a lot of principle and no pragmatic, I just sprinkled a little in there, you know, just enough for me to extend on later on. Like, here, have a little crumb. I will turn that into a sourdough starter for my own case or something. I don't think that's how sourdough starters I don't. Work. I have no idea. This is like in quarantine. That's probably the only checkbox I haven't hit. I have not started making my own bread. Yeah, I've not reached that point. I've done the coffee thing. I've done the plant, plantita thing. I have started uh, baking a lot, but I have not done my own sourdough starter. But anyway, that's besides the point. So let's prep. Um, we're going to do something different for this prep, though. We're not going to just prep government side like we did in finals, obviously. But we're going to try to talk about what happened in the whole debate. Um, because as Kyle mentioned, we're not really proud of our performance there in general, even if we did pretty well. Naman. Um, so we wanted to like revisit prep and then look at what we could have improved. So for government side, let's start with the PM case. Okay, so what's going to happen now is I'm going to talk about the principled side of things. Nina's going to talk about how we approached it on Gov pragmatically. And then after that, we're going to tackle up because we did get a question about how would we um, do it if we were on up. And our answer was that up in that round actually did really well. And it's an interesting counterpoint because, and I noted this, that principally or philosophically speaking, we were coming from a very Western idea of what it means to be alive. Meanwhile, opposition took on like a completely Eastern view. And I'll, we'll talk about that later. But first, on the Western side, I borrowed a lot from philosophers. So again, if the topic was about whether you should choose to be born, even if you know that the first quarter of your life would be really, really bad. Um, so the first thing that I said, I borrowed from behavioral economics because I said, well, even if you know about the first 25 years, you still have something called bounded rationality, which means that you are essentially cognitively limited and you are unable to make completely rational and fully informed decisions because you don't have information about the rest of your life. You only have information about the first quarter of it Right. Therefore, it's irrational to choose not to be born. But then I said, okay, what if we're dealing with the situation in which it's not 60 more years? What if it was like one year? What if it was one day? And here I said, actually, um, even if it was just one year, it's still good. And this is where I got, um, something from Bentham, who you might 
um, remember from utilitarianism, Ugh. he has a certain kind of utilitarianism where Ugh. he creates <laughs> something like a calculus where he looks at different things like time, intensity, and uh, certainty. And then he uses it to make, like, he uses it to compute happiness from an event. So what I said was, even if you don't experience something for a long period of time, um, even if it's just like one day, if it was super intense, that could potentially outweigh the rest of the 25 years. So I use a comparison. I talked about my, my debate career in high school where the first f- three years was just like struggling in the dark, trying to get past octofinals, and then all of a sudden, in one day, boom, bigla ko daging grand finalist, even oh. though I lost. Um, even though I lost. Wholesome though. Yeah, but I still felt like it was worth it. Um, because the intensity, the positive vibes that I got from my last PSDC was just like, okay, yeah, I think this was really worth it looking back. Um, so I got that from Bentham. And I said, mm, actually, what if in an alternate dimension, I never got to finals? I never got any of the goals that I got. And this is where I looked at a more complicated sounding term, which is called epiphenomenalism. And you would understand why I didn't run that in my speech, epiphenomenalism. Because, first of all, there are too many syllables. But the basic idea here is knowledge and experience transcends physical boundaries. The idea here is even if nothing good will happen, there is still value in just experiencing life itself. This is where I use the thought experiment called Mary's Room. And in Mary's room, the person is asked to imagine a person named Mary who was stuck in a room for her entire life and she's never seen the color red. But she has all this literature about the color red. So she studied every single part of the color. She knows like the wavelengths, all the science, mumbo jumbo, but she's never actually seen it. So now the question is, if you were Mary and then one day you suddenly see the color red, would it be life-changing? If it is life-changing, then that means that there's something inherent in just experiencing something that you cannot put into words or you cannot write down or you can't explain. So this is what I said was the intrinsic value in being born and being alive. The ability to experience something makes it intrinsically worth it. And the last one I got from people like Camus, you know, my <laughs> Sisyphus type things where like, even if you're stuck in a super absurd situation, um, you have this idea called positive or optimistic nihilism where you can basically create your own meaning. You force, I don't want to say force, but you are put in this really bad situation but you still find like small rays of light that you can get devastating beauty from. You persevere or something. Yeah. And at the time, pala, I was reading a, a book called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And Viktor Frankl uh, was a Holocaust survivor. And he was talking about his experiences in a concentration camp and how he was able to find happiness there. He didn't get happiness from any physical thing happening to him. Like, no one threw him a feast there. 
but the happiness mm-hmm. that he got was something that he created for himself using like his might he thought about um his wife who he wasn't even sure was alive at the time but he was like just the memory and the ex- the memory of you know what it feels like to love my wife ganyan makes it all worth it so what it means now to love transcends the, the physical transcends even whether or not they are there even if they are still alive ganyan the, the feeling of it the meaning that you create from it is something that will stay with you even when the entire world that you're in turns to shit yeah so that was the principal case but of course since Kyle was the pm he also ran a few arguments for pragmatic but admittedly um i was the one that prepped these things for him um not because he can't but because i i knew that entering like with seven minutes left Like I I was spending the first seven minutes panicking at PM because my mind was just so fixated on the pragmatics. So by the time Kyle was already like writing his um like actual philo arguments that you're meant to have at prime minister, I already had like the two basic um pragmatic arguments down for him, which are one that because you have been able to suffer the first twenty five years. You are better prepared for the next one, where regardless of what the experience is, regardless of how bad it is, it is a uh, an experience that prepares you, like gives you emotional strength, mental strength, um, etc. And the the second ex- the second argument would be that um, besides preparing you, it gives you an insight, um, because not only is it due to your suffering, but because you knew about that suffering, that you get a head start. So they're they're kind of linked together, but the nuance is there. So suffering leads to you being better, and being able to see the future gives you an advantage when you are facing the situations that would have eventually made you suffer. So that was it. I didn't. Right? Or, hmm? I didn't even run it like that. I was yeah. completely lost. Yeah, you like, didn't run I, it. I wrote a little something on the paper, and then I was like, okay, I'll just read this. Yeah. And like okay, I said I said I'll just read this because this probably won't take more than one minute. This won't take more than two minutes. So mm-hmm. I'll just focus more on the filler stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wasn't able to run any pragmatic thing. I think though a lot of your principal kind of already discussed the pragmatics, so it wasn't really a harm. So that's good. Um. So what was my approach at TPN? So I was panicking at PM, and then I got thrown into DPM, and I'm not good at pillow in general. So I already gave Kyle my pragmatic arguments at the time because I assumed Kyle would use them. He didn't, but you know, if you're in prep, you assume your partner is gonna use up your material. So I was just sitting there for a while trying to think, and I couldn't talk to Kyle because I know Kyle was in this weird zone. You know, he was in Mary's room trying to imagine. Uh, what the 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 life of this person would be. So I let him be. Um, and like I, I was in a philosophy cocoon. Yeah, I was or like in a your own cocoon. your own mind palace or something. <laughs> yeah. So basically, I was left to my own devices, and I realized I have to go full on pragmatic. So this was the first time during the final prep that I actually went back to look at the motion, because all I understood from the motion was okay, you're gonna suffer for the first twenty five years, and then. The debates about whether it's worth it and whether you should choose to be born. Um, so that was a mistake at my part because I didn't look at the info slide. And when I saw the info slide, that gave me a lot of ideas because the info slide assumes that everyone is going through the same thing. Everyone, 
gets to see the first 25 years of their life. So that made like a light bulb explode in my head. It didn't just light up. It, it genuinely exploded. And I short-circuited for a bit because I was so excited about my possible extension. So what did it give me, right? So it gave me a few ideas. One, it mentions that there's a universality of experience. Everyone knows what the first 25 years of their life looks like before they're born. The second thing that lit up in my mind is, oh, that's going to change the interactions of people. Like, obviously, when people meet each other, they kind of already know how it's going to end. They know if they're going to break up. They know if this person is not a good person or if they're a good person and they'll end up with them or whatever, right? At least for the first 25 years. After that, you don't really know. But it does give you added information that you otherwise wouldn't have. And the third would be, obviously, because your interactions are different, your behavior now is going to be different as well. Because people can curate information together and collect information together and change the world, basically. So I knew, having that revelation, that my extension would be very, very unorthodox. So I guess my lesson for this prep time with you, the audience or listeners, whatever, is that don't be afraid to experiment. Um, Sometimes the craziest ideas are the ones that just make the most sense if you reread the motion and try to understand what the motion is asking of you. Was this what the motion asked of me? Probably not. But is it a reasonable expectation and a reasonable interpretation? Yeah, I wouldn't argue against it. So basically, my argument was about how society would be better off if a certain group of people could always look into the future. So basically, yes, you're going to be 25, but you don't know what the future will look like. But someone who was just born will and can help you figure out if climate change would ruin your life or if the house you invested in is going to perish in a few years, right? So what would this solve? I listed down a lot of benefits and obviously I built them better in my speech, but for the sake of the prep time, I just like, created like this uh, bullet list of like, we're going to solve environmental degradation. We're going to solve diseases like COVID and anticipate them. We're going to find better ways to deal with poverty and disease and like natural disasters, etc. But then I also stumbled upon the question of, but what's the motivation? Just because people have information doesn't always mean they're going to do something about it, right? There's so much science, but people are still denying climate change and whatnot. So I said, because people could look into the future and basically know it for themselves and not have to rely on other people's information, people can like find that data to be reliable. Therefore, the room for denial is almost zero, right? There's now more certainty in decision-making. And as an added bonus, because the future is so important and people who are younger than 25 know what the future is and what they're going to deal with, it gives more voices to the youth. So I had so many extensions that I feel like were out of like people's expectations, but I had so much fun in my speech. I don't know if uh, people had fun because it's just like a Discord chat, right? And at the time, all I was seeing was people sending like the O-face reaction. And I was nervous because I didn't know if it was a good O-face or a bad O-face. But I guess it was a good O-face because like I-, I ended up best speaker of the final. So that was a good that was a good case, I'd say. Fairness to the tie back. Mm. <laughs> I mean, if uh, you mentioned we won, I can mention I was an O. Oh. But uh, how will we tie back the overall best speaker? Oh, no. 
<laughs> we don't talk about that. Oh. But anyway, I, I thought like in general it was I thought it was kind of a patchy case, if that makes sense. There mm. are probably better ways to run principle and pragmatic. Oh, and definitely. in fact, after the round, uh we, we sort of figured out like a way to make fun of the case where does that mean that the actually the best thing for you to do would be to get newborn babies and then elect them into office. Like, you yeah. just have a council of babies because they're the ones who can see farthest into the future. Or, <laughs> yeah. Like, would, would we do that? Yeah, or, like, I would. I can imagine people creating, like, baby farms. Like, get your own baby fortune teller, baby fortune teller, 10 quid, stuff like that, you know? Um, yeah, so the case was really patchy. Um, but for given our situation in prep and given what we went through and how miserable i was for the first seven minutes it's not bad um i also think that i also think that it was an interesting like what happened in prep was an interesting look into how the two of us individually think Mm. as debaters because when we saw the motion i was like okay i will defend the philosophical hard line where your entire life sucks but it's still valuable and you your approach was the more agecory type approach to where you go like every single word in the motion, every single word in the inflow side is very important. So what will this concept do? And I remember last night we were talking about this other motion, like this house regrets the concept of God, where you told me if you were going to um, run an extension on up, you would say something like, actually the concept of God is what made people want to Defy God. Be more scientific, yeah, and defy yeah. God, which yeah. I love. Um, but if I was an opposition, I'd be like, oh, God, the concept is just inherently good. Like, you have concepts like compensatory control. Uh, I would say, like, Richard Dawkins. I, I had a bunch of those things, like, why God and religion are just intrinsically good. So that that's how we approach these kinds of motions. I mostly go like this is good or this is bad <laughs> like intrinsically philosophically speaking and you are the type of person who goes like yeah but what does this do what does this concept actually do yeah so as much as i i cringe and groan at utilitarianism i am really good at using it in debate which i i hate about myself but i guess i also like about my debating as a style so um Basically, that was our gov case. Uh, again, very patchy, but I think we covered as much as we could with principle and pragmatic. Again, I, I guess a benefit because of the fact that Kyle and I think so differently during prep and approach motions very differently. So we're going to talk about opposition side as well. So there's the matter of opposition case. In the debate round, if you watched it or will watch it, you will see that they had really, really strong arguments like Kyle said. Um, so we decided for the sake of the episode, we would also revisit those ideas, add our own thoughts to them. Um, and this is not to undermine them or anything, but it's in order for you to get a better understanding of the round and the topic as a whole, as opposed to you listening to our, our OG case and then watching the debate. Because we feel like that's like a bit difficult. Unless you're the type that will do that, then good for you. <laughs> yeah, so I think the first thing that deserves uh, a closer look at is the setup because opening opposition setup was really interesting and i feel like everyone got the idea that it was interesting because even until the end of the debate people were still saying things like 
the womb of the universe. So mm. like everyone really knew that it was interesting. It was fun to talk about. But like I said, it is something that you get from Eastern philosophy. And the term that they used here in opening opposition was uh, samsara or the cycle of death and birth and rebirth, etc. So it's reincarnation. Um, and in Buddhism, actually, samsara is the source of all worldly suffering. That's, in fact, the first noble truth in Buddhism called dukkha. Um, samsara is the source of suffering. So our goal under Buddhism is to escape samsara, to escape the cycle. And this might be familiar to you because that's exactly what nirvana is. It's the escape from the cycle. Um, another thing that I talked about is another noble truth, which is the inevitability of suffering. Um, to my argument on Gov, you can choose to find meaning wherever. Op did say that actually people don't really have agency over anything that happens in their life. And the absence of control is, is a ubiquitous theme in Eastern philosophy. In the Tao Te Ching, for example, the pursuit of control and agency over things that happen in life is impossible and also a source of suffering. In fact, the desire to have that agency, the desire to have that control and our attempts to have it is another one of the sources in life. And the material causes, according to opening opposition, of suffering, um, like systemic poverty, etc., etc., they're completely outside of your control. So even Western philosophy have concepts like the birth lottery. That's the same thing that they talk about in um eastern philosophy and eastern religions you can't change it so therefore the fact that you will suffer is inevitable or even if you do try to change it you will still suffer because you can't ever get that goal um so happiness is impossible under this model but then they went even further to say that okay fine let's say happiness is possible let's say for the entire the entire portion of your life are always going to be happy. That happiness is still so fleeting that it might as well not have happened. Because let's say you were born and you were perfectly happy. Even then, when you return to the void or the womb of the universe or you enter to that next stage of uh, samsara, what happens is the meaning, the, the happiness that you got would be ultimately meaningless in proportion to the infinite nothing. It's like you have this number of utils. That's what you call uh, no, happiness in utilitarianism. You have this number of utils. The void afterwards is just infinity. So you're dividing the number of utils by infinity, in which we know from calculus that always reaches zero or always approximates zero. So in that sense, being nothing would be better than being born because at least if you weren't born, you don't get to suffer. But on the other hand, um, you can also say that at best, it's just equal to being born because they all just round out at zero. Um, and actually going further, it would actually be pointless to define yourself based on experiences in general. Um, your experiences are based on your lived realities, which are also arbitrarily assigned to you. So the self that you create, given the context of your live reality, that's not permanent. It's fictional. It's an illusion. That's the reason why in Buddhism, there's this huge concept of the no self. Mm. Um, you have to, the body, you have to empty yourself. Ganyan, you have to realize that you're nothing. There's no self here. Because whatever you think is you is just based on 
something that was imposed by the world on you by the accident of your birth. So I I like that. I I, I really like that. Actually, I remember no prep. I was saying, actually, Nina, I'm biased towards pop, but okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I I think I was also biased towards pop. Um, and it's kind of good when I when I um revisit the experience in my head because I remember in the round, like, like opening opposition was so thorough because not only did they discuss why your suffering is is so great that it's not worth it, but they went very very hard line to say that. You know, regardless of what your 25 years are like, even if they're amazing, like choosing to be born is just the worst option in all instances, no matter what. So I felt like it was a pretty ballsy like case to run and really well established. So given that Kyle is always the principled person when it comes to pillow, only when it comes to pillow, keep that in mind, I will also be the one discussing the pragmatic opposition case or at least what I would imagine opposition to run um some of these were run uh i just have a different interpretation of some of them i feel like everyone was still talking about the very philosophical side of the debate but once again i'm really bad with those discussions so i had a hard time trying to understand the round as it happened so maybe kyle can like (laughs) insert uh like corrections or his own like understanding of what took place in that round later on. But anyway, so for op case, the first thing I would run is probably to say, as a pragmatic extension speaker or something, that the likelihood of a bad future is high. Just because of multiple factors, because the first 25 years of your life often determine how the rest of your life will go. This was a very classic case that like, came up from opening opposition. Right? They mentioned that education usually determines like whether or not you're going to get a good job or a good future or whether you're going to be successful and happy or have all the material needs that you need to survive. Support systems also matter, like the relationship you have with your family, the connections you have for your livelihood, your friends as your guidance and your source of community, and even your mental health. Because traumas cannot be fixed. Personality disorders brought about by experiences during development, uh, developmental years cannot be undone and at most can only be tempered, right? Um, these are just like breakdowns of harms that I feel like um, would be hard to respond to if you were coming from government, right? Because I think my case in government was very reliant on, but there's hope. Um, so breaking down instances where hope is impossible or not as grand as government would paint it to be is going to give an edge for opposition. I would also argue that even if there are ways for you to correct damages to your mental health and to your education, like going to therapy or going back to school to get better, like grades or whatever, the process is tedious and would eventually take too much time out of your life. So even if we assume these issues can be fixed, they would take around 25 years of your life or even longer. So assuming you had all the time in the world, the percentage taken up by the bad years also end up including the years you need to undo the damages. So I would argue pragmatically and with utils or something, whatever that measurement is, ugh, (laughs) <laughs> that is also not worth it, right? But, you know, uh, this is where I want to ask because I like Kyle's case on uh, utilitarianism. How do you think we respond to the idea of one super really, really good day? Um, I, I thought of two responses. The first would be that assuming that it's just one year uh, or short years or days, um, that assumes they will happen in the first place. 
So this principle is still reliant on a pragmatic that is unlikely to be proven, and I'll, I'll link it back to what I said earlier. Or I would also argue and respond by saying that the utilitarian argument assumes that one really emotional day can overshadow other experiences. We'd say that the odds of a super bad day taking away the joy of any good day is higher on our side because this argument can work either way. Utilitarianism does not choose whether to be good or bad. It just chooses to like, have an effect on you. Right, so we'd say that this argument actually hurts government more than it hurts opposition. Yeah, and actually, the the reason that's the reason why I was very adamant with like the layers of even ifs in my case, where I said, you know, even if you don't get any of that, you don't get even the one day of a super good good vibes day, and you can create your your own meaning. So I knew that it was easy to rebut using utilitarianism as well, which is maybe the reason why I I talked about Mary's Room, I talked about Sisyphus. I didn't talk about Sisyphus mismo because I don't like that example because Camus just took the character of Sisyphus out of context and gave mm. new meaning to it. That's, that's a that's, discussion that's, for another time. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so so I, I actually like your response better than the case because like realistically speaking if your first 25 years are really bad like and we already established that what happens in your life actually matters to you because like if it didn't matter to you why did it why was it described in the info slide as a heartbreak that Mm. means like you probably got sad because of it so it's not something that you can just ignore like on government, you can't simply go like, those first 25 years, you see them coming, you can just ignore them. Because they was having a heartbreak. Mm. That's that's one of the reasons <laughs> why, pragmatically speaking, I know, pragmatically speaking, I still agree with you on op. Yeah. So another thing at op that I thought of is actually more of a response to my DPM case. Because I mentioned how everyone would likely work together with this information and solve a lot of worldly problems. And now that I'm saying it that way, it sounds pretty optimistic. Like, it it sounds pretty dumb. Like, how dare you think people are capable of being that nice, right? So I would argue at all that suffering is likely to increase in a world where everyone has seen the first 25 years of their life. Why? Because this argument is based on a few premises that people are selfish beings and they're also vindictive beings if we were to believe that this is a world where people are able to see into the future we have many reasons to believe that people will take advantage of their own knowledge to advance their own lives and not necessarily help others around them this means like knowing business deals in advance or knowing what happens in politics or even their relationships with people who might be for example older than them and if this person is younger they get to manipulate the older person because they know what will happen to that person and like the the reverse is not the same right so knowledge in this new world will become a currency and there will be more incentives to take away opportunities from others on the basis of their own actual benefit or people you know wanting to advance their lives even if it means stepping on others which seems a lot more realistic than people holding hands together and solving climate change, if you ask me, right? So besides people taking it's advantage like, of knowledge, yeah? Yeah, it's like um, if your DPM case had an evil twin, that's what that's what this is. 
Yeah, so I really feel like there was a lot of things you could run if you were just being very, uh, I don't know, like not not creative. Like you're just be being very dupang about it, like reading the motion and picking apart every word. There's a lot that can be done. So besides people taking advantage of knowledge for personal gain, there's also an incentive to ensure others suffer the first 25 years as a means of tradition or a skewed view of fairness. This is not a new phenomenon either. Like fraternities, for example, engage in activities as initiation because upperclassmen believe that it's only right that the new members endure what we had to because, I don't know, it's unfair if they have a better life when we had to suffer. Boomers also argue that People have to suffer student loans because the younger generations have to go through what I had to go through. How dare they have a better life than me? That's not fair to me. Right? So this cycle of forcing suffering onto others will further the, strength, the, the, the suffering of the world in general and be strengthened in a world where the suffering of people is grave and encompasses 25 years of their life. If someone can be mean as a boomer, because they had to go through stu- student loans and like a recession. Imagine having to go through that for 25 years straight. How much more of a boomer these people are going to be. So okay, this assumes that everyone suffers. Admittedly, the info slide is unclear if everyone suffers. Like, it could be that we're just talking about one particular actor and he's just very unlucky that he's the only one who has like a very miserable first 25 years, right? So. But even if not everyone suffers and some people get to see 25 years in their life and it's relatively happy, this argument is, we'd say, even strengthened because the disparity between the experiences of people end up becoming much bigger and the gap between the happiness, quote-unquote, end up becoming like unchanging um, and a tradition that will be upheld. There might even be classes made. I would argue, like as another extreme, we will start classifying people based on whether they're miserable or happy or whether the 25 years were a good experience or bad experience. Right? Like birth lottery, but make it experiences. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I also remember Closing Opposition was talking about like suffering does not exist in a vacuum. Um, they were talking about like people born into situations where they're forced to become child soldiers. Mm. Um, so I thought that idea had a lot of potential potential because yeah potential because it is true that a lot of the time suffering does not exist in a vacuum like if it was huge amounts of suffering you're probably suffering with other people or worse it might actually be you causing the suffering so in a lot of cases it the moral thing for you to do would actually to be choose not to be born so it's not even like protecting the self kind of thing it's more of like a personal responsibility to just not be born Mm, yeah yeah especially if you're suffering because your life is miserable due to hurting others right right um so i guess that's it for both sides um if you can see there's a lot that can be explored with this motion um it's also our fault at opening government that we did not lay out as much as we could have obviously it was a very patchy case um the debate could have dove a lot deeper um we could have been a lot clearer um and because like yes this is not an actual prep time because we've been speaking for like almost an hour now but like 
these ideas, if we were able to come up with them and flesh them out as soon as possible and did not waste seven minutes, um, then maybe the debaters would have had a better experience watching the finals. Um, so hopefully this episode managed to make up for it somehow. I'm not sure. Um, hopefully you learned something. We learned a lot about ourselves also. Um, our prep styles, our approaches to motions, which I guess just goes to show you that training never stops. No matter what skill level you're at, there, you'll always encounter problems and then you'll always find ways to overcome those problems, you know? Yeah, and I guess on, on like a final note, these kinds of motions are very important, even though they, they don't like directly affect your life. Like, you could make an argument that these kinds of motions are very low impact because it's not possible. They can't possibly happen, you know? But they're important because whether or not life is worth it or whether or not, like, the beginning of your life will affect the outcome of your life is something that deeply, profoundly affects how people live their lives, how people experience, and how people um internalize those experiences True. and uh, it's also a great way to start being interested in philosophy so if you want <laughs> like i i've been doing if you want you can um listen to a bunch of philosophy audiobooks on audible um i myself i have an audiobook which is basically just like 365 hindu myths um that i'm super into and like i could have talked more about that in this episode because we're talking about the West-East split in terms of philosophy. But I chose not to do that just so I could use it, bring it back at the end. So that's <laughs> it for this episode. That's it for this episode of Debatable. We hope you had fun talking about it as much as I had fun ranting about mm-hmm. philosophy and as much as Nina had fun ranting about how to motions. Tweak, yeah, emotions <laughs> in your favor. For next week, we're going to be having another episode, but I don't know. It might be more artistic, I guess. Maybe mm. more musical. Maybe, maybe. Like to, to do away with what debaters always talk about, which is like the, the womb of the universe and the hindrances of the world. All right. So thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye bye.